You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius Podcast Network. I have uh, Stuart Cantor. He's the president, CFO, and co-founder of Ondas Networks, uh, formerly Full Spectrum Incorporated, a wireless networking company that designs and manufactures its multi-patented software-defined radio platform for mission-critical IoT applications. We'll get into more of a plain speak version of what that is, but Stuart, welcome. Great. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, so, uh, again, in plain speak, how would you define what Ondas does? What's the premise of the company? Yeah, so we focus uh, primarily on what we call mission-critical wireless applications. And uh, today, what we would call, uh, even um, going a little deeper, mission-critical IoT or Internet of Things applications. So uh, as we're all getting more and more exposed to uh, what we now refer to as is Internet of Things, uh, anywhere from your intelligent thermostat uh, to uh, intelligence in, in vehicles and uh, the automated home. Uh, where we have focused our attention on is uh, network connectivity for industrial networks, and that would be for electric utilities, uh, natural gas utilities, uh, transportation, uh, specifically with a focus on rail, and now uh, industrial and commercial drones. And uh, our company believes, and I think it's being proven out, that those networks are very different from consumer-grade wireless networks that we use for our daily lives. And they're, they're networks that have not been upgraded yet, uh, have not experienced the the same wireless revolution that, that we all have on the consumer side, but are now uh, uh, set for a, a major upgrade. And, uh, and that's where we've been focusing our attention for some time. So when you say uh, upgrade, I understand what mission critical is, but when you say upgrade, what's lacking in them right now and what will the upgrade look like? Well, what has happened in the uh, industrial networks and perhaps uh, maybe your listeners are most familiar with what you see uh, for first responders and and utility companies is that they have their own private radio systems, and those systems are typically installed in their vehicles, or they may be wearing a radio device, and those historically have been pushed to talk voice uh, networks, and now what we are doing is been creating innovation for the data side. As we experience um, uh, various things, for example, artificial intelligence for for 
consumer, uh, the same uh, types of automation are now occurring for industrial networks. The, the key issue for industrial networks is they've not had a reliable wireless platform to use as they approach their upgrade cycle. So what you'll see is they, they lag tremendously for types of connectivity that, that consumer uh, folks are experiencing in their homes uh, through Wi-Fi and through uh, regular cellular networks. The same kind of automation needs to occur in industrial networks, but they have a different challenge. And that challenge is that the things they're automating automated or, or want to automate are dispersed over very large geographies and challenging locations and they have a different data type requirement from uh, consumer wireless. And I guess they would have to have a lot of redundancies no matter how good the technology is because they're mission critical and if they can't talk to each other or things go down it can be catastrophic. Right and uh, that's exactly right so oftentimes they may look at uh, multiple networks, for example, they may have a cellular network as a backup, but often what you'll see is they have uh, the primacy or prime networks for them would be their own, a network they run themselves under their control. And uh, part of the, the, the key component of, of a private network or private wireless network is not that they can't be exposed to vulnerabilities. Uh, there's the same uh, weather patterns and and hurricanes and uh, and and natural and man-made disasters. The difference for them is they can put in aspects to the network that they that a consumer network can't rely upon. And in fact, we saw this um, uh, very. Uh, clearly, recently in in California, with uh, the uh, the wildfires, and what uh, you almost saw here was a, a perfect storm of what is going to happen more increasingly, and 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 shows the vulnerability and importance of these networks. And I'll give you the example uh, when uh, I don't know if all your listeners are familiar with what happened uh, with the the wildfire uh, uh, disasters the past summer. But uh, one of the issues in how the utility companies were addressing this problem was by turning off uh, the electric grid uh, in areas that were exposed to uh, wind and and strong and um, strong winds and why was that they well what has happened in the past is uh, a tree or a, uh, will fall on a line or a line will break due to uh, a weather event that will then the line will drop cause a spark and then create a wildfire and uh, we've seen that happen over and over in California with. Uh, the increasing amount of uh, change in, in uh, the climate and and we're, our cycles of, of uh, drought and rain and and vegetation. So one of the ways the utility was addressing it is just to turn the power off so the spark would not occur. Well, when you turn the power off, uh, you start to have issues with the prime prime networks, the cable networks, and the cellular networks. 
Uh, they have limited amount of battery backup power at in their infrastructure. And I'll use myself as an example. I was not in a uh, fire danger area and my power was not off, but uh, the cable infrastructure uh, was turned off uh, for uh, Comcast or Xfinity and I lost uh, my internet connectivity and also my home voice. And then the cellular network was under enormous stress uh, because they were losing portions of their towers due to power cutoff. And so you ended up in this situation where the core networks for consumers were vulnerable and they becoming increasingly vulnerable because they rely on electricity. Uh, so if you think about it, this is sort of the perfect storm of uh, for an industrial customer that's trying to manage its infrastructure and even for the consumers the uh, the network is going out let alone having the ability for the industrial customer that's troubleshooting the network uh, to rely on those consumer networks uh, so uh, hopefully that that was a long answer to sort of explain uh, uh, the complexities of, of some of these underlying networks and why it's important that industrial networks have their own networks yeah, and you would get greater efficiency if you could um, fine-tune the action of a given network. It will turn off parts, turn on parts, monitor maybe weather and other conditions, integrate with other systems and see where, like you said, battery backup was going low and turn on maybe for a short period of time certain parts of the grid. I mean, a lot of, uh, a lot of efficiency and complexity that can be used if the network was robust. Correct. In fact, that the uh, ironic thing about this is that even the technology we're talking about uh, being implemented on the electric grid would allow them to isolate uh, where those specific areas were occurring and then not turn out, uh, have massive power outages, but isolate just in certain sections. In fact, there is a technology called drop line uh, technology where you could, the minute, um, well, not minute, in milliseconds, uh, it, it takes about a, a second for a line to drop and, and hit the ground uh, that would cause the spark. But there is the ability now for uh, using communications uh, throughout the grid where you could de-energize the line in milliseconds, a uh, couple hundred milliseconds, and eliminate the potential for that spark to even occur. And so by investing in these types of technologies, uh, you, uh, you could even um, uh, isolate and uh, take a different approach to, to some of these problems that are persistent. So what what is the solution from on this look like? You know, I know I'm sure part of it's proprietary, but is it just using existing technologies but layering them and connecting them, or is it a new type of technology that provides better? Well, we started out uh, the company started out uh, developing a new type of technology for industrial customers, a new type of wireless technology that uh, is different from the consumer uh, wireless networks. It uses its own protocol, uh, what we call an air interface protocol, and uh, and the idea behind it was to use licensed radio frequencies that are not used by the consumer networks with a very specific air interface protocol uh, that 
maximizes the the capacity of of these licensed frequencies. So one of the important aspects of of our technology is that unlike Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and many of the other uh, consumer technologies, we use licensed radio frequencies. And there's some very strong advantages to using licensed frequencies. One is that they are exclusive use and they're under the control of the uh, company operating the frequencies. So it eliminates uh, the concern for interference and allows these networks to uh, cover much greater areas with less infrastructure. So when you approach building an industrial network that is not consumer focused, you have to keep the capital cost of that network down because it doesn't have the support of of tens of thousands or millions of of consumers paying a monthly bill. Uh, so you, the idea behind using licensed radio frequencies is that they can transmit much greater range and with higher reliability than uh, unlicensed wireless technologies like Wi-Fi. So our technology was developed around using licensed radio frequencies with an air interface protocol that's unique uh, to, to industrial needs. Uh, one example of its uniqueness is that it is allows for high capacity upstream data. So, so one of the things, as you probably are aware with a, a consumer network, is often what we're doing is we're pulling data down from the cloud. In industrial networks, uh, the important information is at the edge uh, inside the infrastructure, which goes everywhere. So it's not that the a rail car or the electric grid needs to download a video from Netflix, but it needs to send back that critical data that's occurring at, at uh, the edge, which can be a very remote or challenging location. So uh, we designed our air, face, air interface protocol to carry a lot of upstream data versus downstream. And that's just one example of how the technology differs. We have also, uh, when you mentioned proprietary, the technology uh, initially started out as proprietary, but our customers, uh, the utility companies and rail and now even drone, uh, commercial industrial drone companies, have asked us to make the protocol available through a standards process. And so we have uh, put the uh, technology, the design, into a, a standards-based uh, body within IEEE. So that means other companies can build uh, to the same standard, uh, growing the, uh, the ecosystem for delivering products to the industrial customers. Well, standardizing it may also open up opportunities for you guys to get to the highest levels of, of infrastructure. I'm guessing probably the, you know, the U.S. government, for instance, or other governments would want completely standardized, you know, well-known and probably tested uh, method of communication and reliability before they would implement anything, hopefully. Uh, well, it, it can vary. Actually, there's kind of a couple different sides to this. Some prefer the proprietary nature because then it, um, there isn't a, a, recipe, a recipe book there to, to unwind it in terms of interfere with it. Um, uh, so there are some disadvantages to making it uh, uh, a public standard 
but on the other hand, uh, you, you're able to add in security features from others. So I, I would agree with you that uh, one of our challenges, uh, and for any uh, company um, our size, is to make sure that large industrial customers are comfortable adopting the technology, that they don't feel they're going to be isolated to the um, single company risk. So that that was also an issue, which is they want to see um, uh, a larger group of vendors uh, or suppliers building to the technology. So what you see in the uh, consumer area is you'll uh, have multiple vendors uh, producing the base stations and then different vendors often producing the, the handsets. Um, so uh, in the same case, we, we are focused on industrial customers, focused, but with industrial companies uh, that are looking to build to the standard. So what are some of the KPIs that tell you, or what, what do the KPIs say when you've had a successful install and, and uh, in-use project of your networks? Uh, well, for the, uh, the companies, uh, it depends on which industry we're focused on. So if you were to look at... Um, uh, let me give an example for, for drones, uh, which is a, a nascent market. We're, we're just now focused on that market, but uh, you can, uh, a KPI for, for them would be uh, maintaining com critical communications with the drone in a severe weather event. So uh, one of the things that is holding back the implementation, I would say maybe the, the critical um, issue related to drone uh, and the commercialization of them, drone uh, delivery, is the the vulnerability of the drone to uh, communicate with uh, the ground and for the health of the drone to be the key data being transmitted at all times so they're not in danger of, of um, an accident. So that's one of the key issues related to that market even being launched. And uh, that's where uh, our technology has come into uh, uh, focus for command control of industrial and commercial drones. So that's a nascent market uh, uh, just starting out. Um, and, and that's an example of a market that's being held back right now um, for the lack of this type of technology. Then you have uh, folks like uh, the uh, rail industry that want to move to things like automated train and where they, uh, they uh, to improve efficiencies uh, in, in the train network. And so that, uh, in the case of train, it would be um, signals that weren't lost, uh, accidents that uh, have been reduced, uh, one for trains is to run longer trains that are more efficient. And so uh, this type of technology can allow for running trains closer uh, together uh, so they are more efficient in uh, the delivery and re uh, require less resources. Is this going to be a tremendous boon or do you think it's just an, is it an incremental improvement? Or I guess it depends on the industry, but is this going to be a radical uh, change or something? Uh, so all of all of these offer radical change, um, and uh, to some extent, it really hasn't even gotten started. Uh, specifically, 
If you take a look at the electric grid, we, we've been referring to something called the smart grid uh, for many years. Uh, I don't know if you've, you've heard that terminology, but that was really building intelligence in the grid. Effectively, what has happened is they've put in smart meters, but the balance of the grid, to a large extent, has not even started. And the projections of efficiencies are maybe 10 to 20% reduction in uh, uh, inefficient transmission of electricity, which if you think about the challenges uh, we're facing globally uh, with climate change, that's a radical uh, improvement. So then you might say, why aren't they doing that, right? Why, why aren't they embracing it faster and going faster? One of the critical things, for example, on the electric grid side is that you need public policy to line up with those efficiencies. Today, electric utilities make their money by selling electricity. And if they deliver less electricity, uh, they make less money. So if you take a look at uh, uh, companies that are delivering electricity, you will notice that we've already reached peak electricity to some extent in terms of generation. So generation is either flat or going down. So if you're an electric utility in this company, in this country, your revenues are decreasing, uh, but your infrastructure is still all in place. So you have a, almost the same cost structure, but less revenue. What you need at the same time is policy to line up that says uh, efficiencies are valuable for, for uh, the electric grid. Those policies are not in place right now. Uh, I believe they will come into place and will will lead to a transformation uh, in the electric grid. What we do see, though, is uh, on the rail side, uh, where uh, these are uh, companies that are very focused on efficiencies and and profit, uh, that lines up nicely with all these innovations that are now available to them. So we see transformation in the uh, in the transportation sector happening um, rapidly and based on these types of technologies. Uh, with electric utilities, we need the policy to be in place at the same time. Uh, we also see, uh, yes, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's great, those are, those are great specific examples. Any other ones, I uh, interrupted you, but. Oh, on the security side, where we see a lot of uh, embracing of the technology too is is efficiency uh and and for security so this would be for border and perimeter security and um for example uh there's been a lot of attention focused on building physical walls but uh with a lot of the sensor-based technology uh the uh for government usage these type of industrial networks um are very efficient for for security type applications. So uh, we see that as a, a growing area also. Well, very good, well, Stuart. What, what's the best way for listeners to find out more about Ondas and get in, in contact? Uh, yeah. So the the uh, one of the easiest would be to go to our our, our website at www.ondas.com. O n d a s and one of the things to do is you could also follow some of our, our white papers on the site and also uh, information we have on uh, doing podcasts like this 
and articles related to the technology and where the industry is headed. That's great. Well, Stuart, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.